Thank you, Brother Daniel. All right. I believe I heard your dad back there shouting in the video room. Did you hear him back there? <laughs> Jumping up and down. All right. Titus chapter 2 in your Bible tonight. And we have looked in the book of Titus now for many weeks. And um, the book of Titus teaches us that there should be godliness in the church. That's chapter 1. That the ministers should be godly. That the people should have a godliness about them. And then in chapter 2 in the last several weeks what we've looked at is there's godliness in the home. Tonight there's a little bit of a, I guess a divergence from that at the end of the chapter. And if you look what the Bible says in verse number 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Um, let's just have one more word of prayer. Lord, we sure would appreciate your help tonight in preaching this great text. And then, Lord, we want to say thank you, Lord, for what our hearts have already been moved over what the work in Brazil and the work in young men's lives. And then, Lord, tonight, here in Kylie, talk about being born again. Lord, we thank you that, that you're still at work and you're still a living God, still active in the lives of people. And we pray tonight that you'd keep anything that would be a hindrance from your message going out, that you'd keep it set aside, and that tonight you'd help the words of the Bible be written upon our hearts for your son's glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that, that first word there in verse 11, 4, I'm going to say more about that, but for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. You know, I, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite subjects in the Bible is the grace of God. God's grace, and I've heard it defined so many ways, God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that's a good definition. I've heard it defined as God's favor. Um, I've heard it defined as God's unmerited favor or the goodness of God. I would just like to say tonight, I'm glad, I'm glad that our God is described as a gracious God and that he has grace. And the Bible says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So God's grace is a saving grace. And I think that's where I need to begin. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So God's grace brings salvation. I, I don't know if you're really familiar with it, but the law, when we speak about the law, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The law, the law does not bring salvation. The law brings condemnation. 
When we look at the law, the law condemns us. It says that you're guilty, that you have taken and you have crossed over God's line, that you have crossed over God's boundaries, that you have stepped into an area that you have no business stepping into. For instance, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you're married, you have no business having relations with somebody outside of your wife or your husband. When you step across that line, that is a line that God put there in the scripture. And then what that makes you is guilty. It makes you guilty. And the Bible says that law, the law does not bring salvation. Somebody says, well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I I think that's a noble thing, but keeping the Ten Commandments is not going to bring you salvation. It's just going to bring you condemnation. On the other hand, the Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation. God's grace brings salvation. And I'm glad that God's grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, the grace of God brings salvation, and grace is not works. Romans 11 speaks very clearly about that. It says that if it's by grace, then it is no more of works. But if it's works, then it's no more of grace. In other words, when we speak of salvation, we're not speaking about you living a certain way to be pleasing to God. I think you ought to live a clean life. I don't, think you, I, think, I don't think that you ought to have a filthy mouth. I don't think that you ought to drink. I don't think that you ought to take and, and steal from your neighbor. I think you ought to be good to people, but that's not going to get you to heaven because the Bible says you need more than that. Your works are not sufficient to get you there. But you know what is sufficient to get you there? The grace of God is sufficient to get you there. In other words, where I couldn't go myself, the goodness of God, the favor of God, that grace brings salvation. And I want you to note, I need to point this out. The Bible says, hath appeared to, can you say the next two words in your Bible? All men. That means every man, every woman. That means everyone. You know, today, today there is so much talk about discrimination, about racism, about entitlement and others that have been abused and used. I'm telling you tonight, are you listening to me? I'm telling you tonight, God's grace that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men. It matters not what your color is. It matters not what your gender is. It matters not what nation you're from. God's grace is available for all men and salvation is for all men. Now, for some of you that know Uh, the theological debate behind that. We do not believe that God selected a certain number of people to go to heaven and the majority of people he left and said, I'm going to put you in hell. We don't believe that the elect was chosen for heaven. In fact, we don't believe that at all. We believe that the Bible is very clear that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We further believe in 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous who is a propitiation. Are you listening? Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He paid for the sins of the whole world, wherever that may be. The Bible goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 that God, God gave a ransom that all men might be saved. And I guess what I'm trying to emphasize right now is God's grace is what brought salvation. And he brought it to all men. Every now and then I'll meet somebody and say, preacher, I'm just too far gone to be saved. I just disagree with you. You underestimate the power and the grace of our God. 
You, you, listen, the Bible says you don't have more sin than Jesus has grace. That's true of the people you work with. That's true of the people in your family. That's true of the people that are sitting in a prison tonight. That's true of people that, listen, that's true of people that have done such heinous and horrible things that they're ashamed of what they've done and they have to be placed on registries. I'm telling you tonight, are you listening? I'm telling you tonight, God's grace brings salvation to all men. Praise the Lord for that. Because if it was works, I don't believe I'd be able to make it. I'm glad I can just rest in the good grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. So the grace of God is a saving grace. It brings salvation. But the Bible also says in verse 11, four. Do you see that? Four. We spent the last couple of weeks looking at the aged men and the aged women and the young men and the young women and the expectation of godliness in the home. In other words, God, God instructed Paul to write to Titus, this young man, and say, listen, you need to set forward some principles that these aged men should follow and these aged women and these young men and young women. There should be an expectation of godliness. And the reason, verse number 10, that they might adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. You know, I, I think it's horrible that some people claim to be Christian and have as foul a mouth as somebody at the workplace. It should never be that way. In fact, you and I should be a testimony that there ought to be something about my life that brings beauty and decoration to the doctrine of God in the eyes of the world. In other words, they ought to know that what changed my life came from God and the reason I'm living differently is not because I'm part of some religious organization. I'm living differently because there's a God that did a work in my life and changed my life. But all those things, that pattern of good works, those things about those aged men being temperate, sound in the faith, those aged women that they be given to holiness and not false accusers. I'm telling you that God's grace is a saving grace, but it's also a helping grace. That's why the word in verse 11 is for. All right, not purloining, showing all good fidelity, verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That means everything in every part of my life that I'm, I'm living by that doctrine of God and adorning it, I'm bringing a beauty to it, not a reproach, not blasphemy. But to be able to do that, can I just say this plainly? I believe you need God's grace to help you live a godly life. Can I say that one more time? You and I need God's grace to live a godly life. We need his help. We need grace that's able to take and straighten out the problems that I have in my life. Listen, the Bible says that we are not sufficient of ourselves. Come on, in my own self and your own self, who is sufficient to be able to uphold all the things that God has put in the Bible? I tell you, I'm not able to do it. My righteousness on my very best day, the Bible says, are you listening? On my best day, man is altogether vanity. All of my righteousness is filthy rags. I just don't meet up to that standard. But hey, I've got a God in heaven who's got enough grace to help me live like I ought to live. Aren't you? I'm a frail father and a frail husband. I've got problems when it comes to being a pastor. I've got problems when it comes to being an upstanding citizen. But I've got a God in heaven who's got more grace than I've got problems and can help me live that kind of life. Amen. So it's not about buying the book checking off all the boxes that you went through the course and now you've got it covered. No, you're going to need God's grace to live a godly life. 
and I think you need it every day. Amen. Now, you only need God's grace to be saved one time. One moment, one decision. But for everyday life, you and I need God's grace. You know what Paul said? I am what I am by the grace of God. He knew that he needed God's grace. Aren't you glad that God doesn't sell it, but he gives it freely? Amen. <laughs> Amen. So the grace of God saves and the grace of God helps to live a godly life. And then if you look in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God's grace teaches us. Um, that's present tense, teaching us. Um, how many of you ever said this, I can't wait to get out of school? Can't wait to get out of school. How many of you, after you got out of school, found out school just kept on running? And you get out of this school, and you walk into this school. Sometimes it's a school of practicality. Sometimes it's a school of on-the-job training. But the school just continues. And I'd like to say this. God's grace teaches us, and that, that is a position you and I should be in. We are students of the Bible, and we are being shaped by God. Maybe I should say it this way. There are no master's degrees when it comes to Christianity. <laughs> that didn't go very well. There's not one person in this auditorium that has a Ph.D. in Christianity. You haven't achieved. You haven't attained. You're still in God's workshop of grace. He's still working in your life. And when you lay aside one sin that so easily besets, you know what you do? You find a new sin and God, God starts helping you with that. When you add one thing in your life like graciousness or mercy, then you need to add charity and brotherly kindness. I'm always in God's class learning how I can be more like Jesus Christ. I, I don't attain. In fact, so tonight, if you're here tonight, I know I think our crowd looks pretty good tonight. You know, somebody help me besides, besides the guy in the back. I think we have a pretty good-looking crowd tonight. I think the men got up there, and I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, I think we have people tonight, and we've heard some great testimonies of salvation, and a young man talking about how they kept their, their, their testimony on the court. And, you know, somebody might walk away from here thinking, boy, you guys think y'all got it going on. I'll tell you what we think we are. We are, <laughs> we are sinners saved by the grace of God. But we believe that that grace that he gives teaches us what we ought to be. It teaches us. And not just one time. It continues to teach us, teaching us. How many of you sometimes are hard-headed like me and have to have the lesson more than once? Now, there's some of you probably don't think that you just need it one time. I listen, so I, I, so I need more lessons. I need lessons sometimes a whole lot more than once. I need God to teach it to me again and again. And he says God's grace teaches us. So there's no PhDs when it comes to Christianity. There's nobody that's arrived. There's nobody that's attained, that's achieved some place of standing. God's grace teaches us. Now look what it teaches us. And this is a little bit hard for some people to swallow because their idea is God's grace doesn't teach anything. God's grace gives you liberty to do anything. Maybe I ought to say it this way. There's some people that teach that God's grace really is a license to live your life however you want to live. I don't believe that's biblical. In fact, I think right here we have the biblical direction of what God says grace teaches. Look at the very first thing. Verse number 12, God's grace teaching us 
that denying ungodliness. The Bible teaches me that I'm to deny ungodliness. I want to think about that for a minute. Godly, ungodly. Righteous, unrighteous. Holy, unholy. It is, it is not something that's gray in the middle. God looks at something and he says, that's holy and that's unholy. He looks at something and he says, that's righteous and that's unrighteous. The world doesn't like that. The world thinks there ought to be a whole lot of gray space in the middle somewhere and you just kind of find your way. I don't believe that. I believe that God says this is good and this is evil. This is right and this is wrong. And what I need to do is I need to learn what God says is right and what is wrong. And then I need to live by that. That his grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Great, great passage. And I'm just going to read it to you in the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 says these words. Great Psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. In other words, there's a picture of a man that is walking in the way of ungodliness, and then there's a picture of a man that's walking in the way of the words of the Lord. And what I, what I want to say about that is this. God's, God's grace teaches us that I ought not to be living an ungodly life. In other words, I should not live a life that is not God-like or that is not god Conscience. Maybe I should say it this way. I do not appreciate the public school system removing prayer and the Bible out of the classroom. Now you say, What's, what, do you, what do you mean? What's the problem? Everybody ought to have their own faith. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think about that. I think when we had the Bible and prayer in the classroom, we didn't have to have people standing outside the class with metal detectors and have policemen on the outside. So what happens when you take God out of something, then you leave a void that's there and there's going to be something that fills that. And what I'm saying is that we ought to have a God consciousness. In other words, you and I should deny ungodliness. I'm going to step a little farther. I'm t you know what I think? I think most of the philosophy that comes out of Hollywood, California is ungodly. It's just ungodly. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, look at what they're doing. They're leaving California. How many of you would leave California? Amen. I don't want to live in California. All the things that are going on in that state, all the things that are, that are allowed, that are tolerated, that are accepted, that are made to be the norm, to where you have filth, I'm talking about filth in the streets, all kinds of, listen, all kinds of drug paraphernalia in the streets, a homeless problem that is doing nothing more than growing. And all I'm just saying is that they think, well, we just ought to accept everything. The LGBTQ position, we're 100% behind. I tell you what I am. I believe we ought to deny ungodliness. I, I should say no to what the world says is something that is good and something that should be desired and chased after. I think what I ought to do is I ought to say no. Can we practice that one time tonight? Because I know some people think that's a hard word. Can we just say no on the count of three? One, two, three. No. Well, some people are really behind that. Did you hear that? Some of you have a little problem with that. No. No, I'm not going to watch that. No, I'm not going to listen to that. No I'm, not, no, I'm not going to allow that. Denying ungodliness. I'm not going to take and allow something that is not God conscious into my life. Why? Because the grace of God has changed my life. 
I have a different taste now. Come on, help me out. Taste and see that the Lord is what? You'll never hear that said of the world. Taste of the world and see how good it is. No, 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 no. But boy, you sure can taste and see how good the Lord is. All right, I have a different appetite. Then look at the next thing. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. You know, the Bible defines worldly lust, I think, very well in 1 John chapter 2. The Bible speaks of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. The Bible says that all that is in the world, all of that, is at enmity with the Lord. It's at enmity with God. It's not something that should be in my life. I should deny worldly lust. 1 Peter 2 says, fleshly lust that war against the soul. 1 Timothy 6 says foolish lust, and it talks about a dollar bill. How, how, many, how many of you appreciate the good job you have? Would you say amen? amen? How many of you appreciate having a 401k and a bank account full of money? Could you say amen? amen. <laughs> you know, the Bible says they that will be rich, if you're chasing after that, I, I can't tell you how many times I have stood in a convenience store and watched a man walk over and start counting off $100 bills and pull a roll of lottery tickets, walk over to the corner, and while I'm waiting, trying to get my receipt, scratch them off, look at them, take them, throw them in the garbage, go back and get some other ones. Worldly love. I, I want to hit, I want to strike the lot. I want to strike it rich. Look, you're not going to win the lottery. Now, I know you're not going to win it because none of y'all play it. You're not going to win the lottery. If everybody won the lottery, it's like gambling. Well, I'm going to go to Las Vegas and I'm going to win at the table. You might win one time, but you're going to lose 90% of the time and you're going to lose most of your money because they don't stay in business giving away money. And what I'm saying is that we ought to deny worldly lust. The Bible teaches that. We ought to say no to foolish lust and youthful lust. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 that we're to flee youthful lust. Sometimes that has to do with people. It has to go looking at something that you no longer are and maybe you desire. What I'm saying is the Bible says that grace says don't, don't chase worldly lust, the pleasure, the fame, the indulgence that you ought to take and that right there you ought to just say no to. You know, once you get a certain age, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. But if you're a Christian, you know what you ought to do? You ought to say, nope, I'm not doing that for the cause of Christ because God's grace has been good to me. I don't want to put a frown on his face. There was a time, there was a time that I wanted to do things that I wanted to do and try to hide them from my mother and dad. I wanted to get by on them. But as I got older, when I got right with God, I didn't want to embarrass them. I didn't want to do anything that would bring a blot on their name and make them upset with me. I'm listen, are you listening to me? God's grace has been so good. I don't, I don't want him upset with me. I don't want him frowning at me. I, I want him saying, I, thank you, son, for denying that worldly lust and that ungodliness. That's the right thing to do. That's negative preaching, isn't it? But we need that kind of negative preaching because it's in the Bible. You need to be able to say no. Yeah, but I've heard this podcast and they say, well, that podcast ain't carrying you anywhere close to the Bible. Well, that church down the road, they just let it, that church down the road ain't carrying you anywhere close to the Bible. You ought to see what the Bible has to say. We ought to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That's what the Bible says. That's not what the Baptists say. That's what the Bible says. And as a mother and dad, you ought to help your children say no. 
Come on now. If they can't say no, you help them say no for them. No. No, you can't have that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't go there. I remember telling my mother and dad, you, you guys are the strictest parents in the church. I look back on that now. Thank God I had a mother and dad like that. <laughs> you say you had parents like that, it'll warp you. Oh, it didn't hurt me too bad. I think I'm all right. But... Yeah. Trying to keep things from you. But you know, it's not always negative. As Baptists, sometimes we only get the negative side. Quit your rock music. Quit your drinking. Quit your cussing. And you ought to. You ought to quit all that. Quit your adultery. Quit looking at pornography. Quit your gambling. I think you ought to quit all that. But look at the next thing it says. The grace of God doesn't just teach us to deny godliness and worldly lust, but it also teaches us that we should live soberly. It teaches me how to live. Hey, hey, God's grace doesn't just teach me what I shouldn't be touching. God's grace teaches me how I ought to live after I've experienced God's grace. Maybe I can say it this way, to live soberly. That's the last time that it occurs in this book. This is the fifth time. The Bible speaks about being sober-minded, and it talks about the aged men, and it talks about the young women. It talks about the pastor, the bishop. It talks about being sober-minded. Now, one, I would say, yes, that means not being drunk being sober, but it also means not driven by your passions. The grace of God teaches me that I can live a blessed life without giving in to all the passions of my flesh and my mind. Maybe I can say it this way. You can be happy. Are you listening? You can be happy living soberly more than you can be happy living unsoberly. And that, listen, you young, I'm telling you, the devil will lie to you. Here's what he's going to tell you. If you live a straight-laced Christian life and you don't listen to this kind of music and you don't wear these kind of clothes and you don't go to these kind of parties and you don't get invited to these kind of activities, you will have no fun. It will be a boring life and you will hate it. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think. That is a lie straight out of hell. I'm telling you, you can, listen, you can be full of joy and happiness, not ever going to any of those parties, not ever drinking any of that filth, not ever having any of that in your hand. God's got a better life for you. Amen. 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 To live soberly. Grace says live soberly. Live right. Live, live, live right. Look what else he says. That's right. Live righteously. It teaches us that we ought to live righteously. And I, I think some people get afraid of that word. So let me show you two, two verses that go along with that. Go, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. A few pages to your right. And then I want you to get 1 John 2. I want you to get Luke chapter 1. 1 John 2 and Luke chapter 1. What does it mean to live righteously? Well... Some people would say living righteously is a standard that men might demand you live by. I don't really think that's the right definition. In fact, if you look there in 1 John chapter 2, speaking of Jesus Christ, look what the Bible says, verse number 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. How many think Jesus lived a righteous life? In fact, don't we have scripture that says he was without sin, that he did no sin? Jesus Christ is the only person ever to live without sin. Consequently, that's why his blood can take away our sin. But he lived without sin. So when the Bible says there in verse number six, he that saith he abideth in him, 
That's a man that says, I'm a believer. I'm born again. I'm part of the family of God. Ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. You ought to walk rightly. You ought to walk in a fashion that would be representative of Jesus Christ. I, I see things today that are just so, so skewed and so wrong. I remember when I first came to Greenville, I was told about a pastor that got up and told his congregation that social drinking was all right. You just need to learn how to control it, make sure that you didn't drive and get in the car with somebody else. And, you know, that same pastor ended up having to be put out of his pastorship because he had a drinking problem. But here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. There is no way you'll ever convince me that Jesus Christ, if I'm supposed to walk like him, there is no way Jesus Christ would hold a Budweiser in his hand. Do you understand that? There is no way he'd have a big cigar in his fingers. He's not going to do that. There's no way he's going to end up on a beach down there with all of his clothes off running around with a bunch of... Now, maybe a Jesus that's in the mind of some liberal uh, bunch of folks in, 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 in religion, but the Jesus of the Bible, he would never do anything like that. He's not going to do that. We ought so to walk even as he walked, which, which leads me to this point. I should be following him the way he walked. What he's doing, I needed to be doing. You know what he was doing? He was helping people everywhere he went. Amen. He was giving. He was helping. He was teaching. He was loving. I'm, I'm just saying that living righteously, if Jesus wouldn't do it, you don't need to be doing it. I remember a story I heard. don't even remember where it came from. They were talking to a man that had gotten saved, and uh, some of his old friends invited him to a party. And they said, uh, hey, we've got a party we'd like you to come to. And he said, well, can I bring my friend? He said, well, you can bring anybody you want. He said, okay, I'm going to bring Jesus. And they said, well, we don't think Jesus would like this kind of party. He said, well, if Jesus wouldn't like this kind of party, then I don't want to come to your party. You understand? It's not Jesus Christ, the righteous, living righteously. I'm living as he, look at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. It's not just, just about what Jesus would do and what he did, but Luke chapter 1, we have another definition of, or at least an example of righteous living. In Luke chapter 1, the parents of John the Baptist, the Bible says about them, unusual people. The Bible says in verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So in other words, what verse 6 says, that John the Baptist's parents, that they found out what the commandments of God were and they abided in them. They walked them. They obeyed them. The ordinance of the Lord, they obeyed it. So again, here's what I tell you. You young people, you're listening. There are people out there that say, all you need to do is love Jesus and it doesn't matter how you live. According to that right there, if you want to live a righteous life, you better find out what God says is righteous and live by it. That you can't just say, well, it's just the, 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 the position of my heart and whether I love the Lord. No, it means more than that. You ought to live a righteous life. And whatever God commands, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. We ought to obey what's in this book. That's a righteous life. This Bible gets to determine what is right and wrong. Not a Baptist pastor. Come on now. 
Mom and dad don't get to define what's righteous. Now, you get to define how you run your home. A pastor leads the church. But when you get right down to righteousness, God decides what's righteous. If he says something is righteous, it's righteous. If he says it's an abomination, hey, it's an abomination. And all I'm saying is living a righteous life. Then look at the last one. Go back, if you would, to, to uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. So the grace of God saves and the grace of God helps and then the grace of God teaches. The last thing he says, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know, I have to ask yourself this question. What is God like then? I can go to Psalm 84 and I can see that God is a God of mercy and a God of grace and he's a holy God. I think that today we have taken and we have thrown holiness out of the church so we can maintain a larger congregation. You know what I think? I think it's wrong to maintain a congregation. Are you listening to me? It's wrong to maintain a large congregation in your Bible college. It's, it would be wrong for us to maintain a large, large congregation in our Christian school. And it would be wrong for us to maintain a large congregation in this church and just take and lower all the standards and say we're going to get rid of holiness. And it doesn't matter how you think or live. That is not, we should live godly. Godly. Be ye holy for I am holy. Then I should make choices that are pleasing to God. Amen. That's the way I ought to live. Grace teaches me. You used to only be on one side of the fence, but now you've got the Holy Ghost in you and you can choose to do right. You used to be trapped in the filth of sin and, and the muck and the mire, but now that you've been brought out of it, you ought to live a righteous life. Your mind used to be filled with filth and your mouth used to be filled with filth, but now you ought to live in a manner that's pleasing to God. Why? Because His grace teaches me that I ought to do that. God's grace teaches, God's grace saves, and God's grace helps. How many of you think we couldn't make it without God's grace? I need the grace of God. I need His favor. I need God to help me where I cannot go. And I need Him to teach me how to deny and then how to live. I need that help. And since I've been born again, I'm trying to do the best I can to live by the grace of God. Amen. 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 All right. If you'd stand to your feet. I was going to ask you if you would. Just, it's just my plea tonight, I, and I'm not trying to have a big altar call. But I believe we need godliness in our church, and we need godliness in our homes. And Brother Ken's going to come to Oregon, and maybe that'd be something you'd get on an altar, and you'd say, God, please, please keep godliness at Tabernacle. Hey, hey church, all these people that have been saved, all the things that we see going on that's good, you remove godliness out of that, we're going to lose what we have. The homes that we have, our church will never reach higher 
than the homes that we have. Godliness in the home, denying worldly lust, denying uh, ungodliness, living righteously, living godly. Maybe you just come to an altar and say, God, please, please help our church to keep godliness in the center of it. Help our home to keep godliness in the center. Oh, we need that. Brother Hobart, you sing a little bit for us, would you, while these are praying. There are folks on the altar. How about you tonight? God spoke to you about godliness tonight? I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Last verse, if nobody comes, we're going to close the invitation. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed son. about that. God give us more grace and thank you for the grace that's been given. Well, been a good day at Tabernacle, hadn't it? Got to hear about people getting saved and got to see the mission field. Brother Bobby, if you'd like to come over and slip by the table, that'd be great. And uh, we have a lot of guests tonight. If you want to, if you don't want us to shake your hand, all you have to do is just cross your hands in front of you and, uh, and we completely understand. And, uh, but we're, we're glad if you're a guest tonight, we're glad you're here. And um, appreciate you being with us. A lot of guests tonight. I mean this. I, I hope God spoke to your heart. Amen. Amen. I, I hope you got something from heaven tonight. Because that's what you need. And we got a God that can give it. Well, I guess we'll be dismissed then. Or we could just stay here and miss the rest of the Super Bowl. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Amen. We just start going around giving testimonies. 
Brother Scott speaking to me in French. <laughs> Brother, Brother Cave might understand that, but I wouldn't get that. <laughs> uh, we have a little get-together for the Bible quizzers, end of the season, a uh, little uh, bit of pizza for them up in the youth room, and uh, we announced that this morning, but just a reminder here after the service. Thank you. Hadn't done this in a while. Maybe you can help me out with it, all right? <clears throat> But you have to quit playing that or I will mess it all up. I'm going to mess it up anyway. Oh, church, do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? Sure, I love Jesus. Tell me why you love Jesus. This is why I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. chill bumps. God bless you. Dismissed. <clears throat>